This is the Apartment Building Investing Podcast with Michael Blanc, episode 138. Let's do this. You're listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast, where we'll talk about all aspects of buying apartment buildings with a special focus on raising money from others. And now, your host, Michael Blanc. Hey, everyone, and welcome to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast. I am your host, Michael Blanc. Really excited that you're here. Now, typically, we're talking about syndication because syndication is the art and science of raising money for apartment buildings so that you don't have to have your own cash. And it's the number way to overcome that. However, not everyone who is successful in multifamily investing actually syndicates deal. I know, shocker. And the other surprising thing about that is not everyone who does not syndicate actually has a whole bunch of money when they get started. So in other words, they're in the same position as most of us, which means we want to get into this business, but we really don't have a lot of cash. But what they do is they're resourceful. They figure out other ways to get around their shortcoming of cash. But instead of syndicating, they do other variety of things. They explore seller financing. They use creative financing. They use 100% financing. They might use hard money loans. A variety of different things that people can use. And so today, I want to explore that a little bit more. I have on the show Jake and Gino or jakeandgino.com. They have educational podcasts and they also do a whole bunch of deals. And they have built an impressive portfolio without syndicating at all. And we're going to talk about how they did that. We're also going to talk about, though, their journey into syndication and why they've now doing syndication and some of the things that they learned. So let's get right into the show with Jake and Gino. Here we go. Jake and Gino, welcome to the show. Mike. Thanks for having us, Michael. Happy to be here. How you doing? You know, last time I should say welcome back to the show because the last one was in episode 52 which was nearly two years ago. So my gosh, a lot has happened. You guys have, uh, uh, well, even before you had an impressive portfolio and you continued expanding that portfolio without syndicating. So it kind of shines a light on, on, and we talk about syndicating a lot, but it really shines a light on, my gosh, you know, maybe should I syndicate? What does that look like? What are the pros and cons of syndicating? Is there something between not syndicating and using your own cash? And you guys are now starting to syndicate. So I think it's a great time to kind of dig into the pros and cons of syndicating. So before we get into pros and cons, how were you guys able to build such an impressive portfolio without syndicating? Because having said that, like I said, we talk a lot about syndicating, but it's because it's out of necessity. I mean, if I use my own cash, uh, my returns are going to be higher, clearly, right? But if I don't have the cash, I got to raise the money. So if somehow you guys managed to, to not have to syndicate or maybe you're partnered away, but how did you guys do it? I'll jump in because one thing that I just want to give a shout out to is all the community bankers out there because what the biggest thing that it comes down to is how much you got to put on into these things and how hard it is. And we're doing a syndication right now. We have two deals going right now. We have one syndication going and we have one that Gino and I are doing ourselves. And my God, it is so much easier to just take your money, give it to a community banker, have a couple of phone calls, have a beer, say, we're doing it like this, draw the play up in the dirt and get it done. Syndication and agency debt is a nightmare, but it's, it's the best debt. It's really good. It's just much harder. So I think for us, it was not knowing what we were doing in the beginning. And it was, you know, getting something that we could get our head wrapped around that we're going to be able to close on. So Gino and I are not super sophisticated guys. And I think if we would have tried to do a syndication right, right out the gates and try to do agency debt, it wouldn't have worked. So it was almost, we, we got into this out of necessity to get in the game. And that's why we went the community bank route. 
the thing I love about community banks too is that if you need, if you have a big rehab budget, you can put that right in the financing. You can get that rehab budget financed right through your community bank, you know, at twenty percent down, build that right in, and it's and you're gonna, you know, bottom line is you're putting in, say, you know, you need twenty percent down versus a, a syndication deal or an agency debt deal that you're doing that needs some rehab and, and maybe has lower cash flows that you're gonna turn around. They may want sixty five percent loan to value. We've done basic community bank deals at 15% down, what that, that's enabled us to do is come with less cash, get more equity. Equity in this game is what's going to make you rich. I love equity. I'm an equity hound. And that's what we, we seek. But if we're going to really grow this thing in the way that we want to, we're going to have to syndicate some of the deals. So I hope that answers your question. I'm just loving on our community bankers right now because we have a ton on our plate and they're making my life much easier. So well, let me ask you. Let me ask you about that because there's still the the, the whole issue of the fifteen, twenty, whatever, twenty five percent down payments, right? Which we normally talk about. That's yep. where the money has to come from 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 the investors. Now you talked about you love equity. So another way to do it is you buy stuff that's so undervalued that once the appraisal comes in, you're essentially getting a hundred percent financing on that. Or maybe you had some uh, money from somewhere else. Talk about how you addressed you know the equity part, uh, the down payment part. Let me jump in on that one. Uh, we've got a couple students right now that are, that don't have the money. But but what they're doing is they're putting the deal together. They want to do day-to-day operations. They might even move into the uh, market itself. They're going to take a piece of that deal, get a piece of that equity without bringing any capital in it. I mean, real estate is amazing because you can negotiate anything. And if you're finding these high net worth individuals that we just had a student who was buying a 10 unit deal from, a, from they went out of the contract because a doctor was going to buy it. The doctor thinks they're going to buy assets and let them run. But once they see the work that's involved, they love the ability of the asset to throw off cash flow and to cost segregate and all that. But once the manager right to the wheel, they have to do day to day, they walk away. So it's it's incumbent upon us as investors to find these people that are out there that want to invest in real estate, but can't do it themselves and are willing to give a part of that equity away. Um, I remember Jake on our third deal, we paid Jake an acquisition fee. It was the best fee that I've ever paid in my life. He worked his butt off to get that deal done, but that acquisition fee, he rolled it into as part of his equity. You know, we did everything on it. We took a note from uh, from the uh, broker as part of his um, you know commission fee. So whatever you need to do to get that equity in the very beginning, and the community bank allowed us to refinance the property and roll it into our next deal. So. What I like about this is you're being creative, right? Uh, so, so syndication route is certainly one mm-hmm. route, but you're, you're talking a lot, of, a lot of different ways to be creative. You're talking about joint venturing. You're talking about someone who finds a deal, joint ventures with a wealthy person who wants to buy it, but is more looking for a passive or turnkey situation. You talked about rolling in your acquisition fees, getting the broker to leave your money in the, mm-hmm. in the deal. What are some of the other things that you have done to overcome having to uh, put a bunch of money down? Uh, what are some other things that you've done? We, we own or finance a 281 unit deal. We hit, we put zero dollars into it and walked away from the closing table with one hundred fifty thousand dollars. And the title, the lady, the title agent goes, "How the hell did you just do this?" She said, "You just you just bought a, a two hundred eighty one unit portfolio and walked away because we closed in the middle of the month. We you know and we we got the prorated rents right in the beginning of the month and some of these other things and some repair allowances, and we walked away from you know the table with one hundred fifty grand with nothing into it. And so what it what it comes down to is we had a track record at the time where we manage in house, so the bank really really liked that. And if they if they were to you know take it back, the owners that owner financed it to it were just going to continue managing because they manage it for many years. So the banker was." 
was, you know, very, you know, uh, savvy and, and realized that, okay, there's really low risk here because if they do end up taking this back, we're just going to, you know, write the note back to the, uh, the prior owners who ran it for many years. So that was, that was sort of their protection in the deal. Let's talk about that. Sell, seller financing is another creative way to yeah. get into real estate. Why does particular seller? It's it's not very common. Uh, I haven't seen a whole lot of it. Uh, there's normally some We've kind of unusual. Such, we get well. Yeah. that's exactly right. So so how do those come about? What was it about that seller? You don't ask on the front end. I think that's the key. If you go into it and you're asking everybody, they're going to get creeped out because they think you have no credibility and you're not going to be able to close. So the key okay. is building up your credibility, getting deals done in any way that you can. And when it's there, you, you take what the defense gives you, right? When it's there, you take it. And so what, what was kind of going on is the broker actually brought, brought it up while we were evaluating this deal that, oh, they may be open to this. And then that totally changed the game for us. So when we when we heard that, we started inquiring more and then we were able to execute on So that. on our first deal, we actually got earner financing it because you need to look for a motivated seller. If you're looking for an A property and there's no problems, you're never going to get owner financing. So look for the right deal. The deal that we like to say has hair on it. The deal has a lot of problems. It might be hard to finance or it just might be somebody who's got $3 million in equity and knows that if he puts it in the bank at 1%, I can give them 5%. So you always need to know why the owner is selling. You know, most of us assume they're selling just to get the highest price. Some people are selling because that's their retirement money. They're cashing out. They don't want to deal with the risk anymore. They want to go to a triple net lease property. Okay, great. But there's a little bit of equity. Maybe I can give you a little bit on, on the owner financing. So I think you always have to go by the premise of what does the owner want? How can I solve this problem? Because on a 281 unit deal, the gentleman bought a Porsche, drove cross, cross country and he had $2 million and, and he's yeah. like, where can I put this money in the bank? So we gave it to our community banker, biggest deposit they had to record to date, putting 2 million bucks in the thing, making 5% and making 1% and we have, we held a note and we were giving him five. So where do you think he'd rather have his money? rather have his money with the seller finance note. So I think that's what people need to focus on is what can I do for the seller? And like Jake said, um, and we've already repaid him, right, Gina? Yeah, already got his money back. Cash him out. So I think you just have to really—that's not the first thing you, you go in with. You have to have multiple, I guess, ways to actually present an offer, um, and that's just one of the offers you can put in. Well, let's talk about multiple ways to present an offer. That's a great tip there. Typically, we go in and we present one option, which is you know twenty, thirty percent down, and that's certainly option one. And so what are some of the options and how do you present those options? How do you make that seller financing, which on the surface may seem less desirable, or more unusual uh, to, to a seller for their serious consideration? I think it's having good broker relationships and being able to communicate well with the broker. Uh, one thing that I really uh, recommend people doing is try not to bring multiple brokers into the deal because it's it just what happens is that broker will tell the next broker something and then your message will get diluted as it goes down the chain. So having a good, competent broker that's able to listen and, and pick these things up and then you can just work with him as the one broker that's involved in the deal and listen for those opportunities to come up. I don't, again, I don't recommend going in all the time asking for this, but it's, it's understanding where the owner may be and having a good broker in there to uncover these opportunities for you to find creative ways to get these things done. Yeah, so don't lead with it because it kind of ruins credibility. But yeah. once you have built up credibility, try to understand what I'm hearing you saying. Try to understand why the seller is is selling and, and what they're trying to do afterwards. Mm -hmm. Because, for example, selling something, I mean, they could roll it over uh, to a triple net triple net property in the 1031 exchange. So they, they already have an exit plan. But if someone is thinking of just selling it, now they have this giant taxable event. And, and if they're retiring, that's going to be a problem for them versus, well, why don't I give you a steady income stream? You don't have a taxable event. All of a sudden, the seller goes, oh, my gosh, I didn't – I never – considered mm -hmm. that and that's an example where we've seen some people say oh yeah let me uh let me consider that that's that's really clever i didn't i didn't know about that and now you're actually helping the seller and any other situations where sellers might go my gosh that's yeah i'll do that 
Well, I think it's it's really important to understand that any of the deals that we've done that have been very, uh, you know, true deals, if you will, or where there's been a lot of upside is understanding the seller's motivation and understanding what's going on. It's very cliche to talk about the motivated sellers. You need a motivated seller, but there's a lot of truth behind that as well. And that's why we really try to understand the motivation behind what the seller's doing and why they're selling. Because then if there's, you know, if they're older and they just are burnt out on it, but they want that passive income, that's when seller financing may become an opportunity because because you're diving deeper and you're asking those questions to understand and then you're trying to create needs. It's almost it's almost sales basically what you're doing even though you're the one trying to buy. I think there's more sales involved in multifamily on the buyer's end than that's actually involved in the seller's end because they have the hot commodity that you're trying to get and a lot of times you're trying to sell yourself to them and to the broker as to why you're the guy or gal and if you're going to, especially if you're going to go down the road of owner financing or something really creative, they're going to have to know that you're a closer and that you have the capability to get it done. Because that's the next thing that they're going to question is, why am I going to trust this schmuck that, you know, doesn't have any deals or whatever and, and to try to do an owner finance deal. So sometimes, you know, we were fortunate to do an owner financing on our first deal. I don't know if that's that's the norm or what's recommended. Maybe the second or third one uh, after you have a little bit more credibility. But if you can get it, more power to you. I'm not I'm not hating on anyone for doing that. We did. It. I think so. every deal has its own story. I mean, like you can look at all of our deals. They've all been traditionally mom and pop in one respect or another. Yep. Whether it's and mom and pops come in all sizes. We have 281 units. We have uh, 16 units. We're looking at a 481 unit portfolio right now that is, it's mom and pop. It's basically people are either burned out, they have no systems, there's partner acrimony, there's family infighting. Every property has a story. And like you said, what are they going to do with the asset after they sell it? Or better question, we've bought properties from doctors. Do you have any other deals that you want to sell in the future? Oh yeah, by the way, I do. So you need to know the, the, the story behind every property. And once you can figure it out, whether they're going to, if you do, they want a 1031, that means you have a little leverage because there's some time constraints going on in there. So you have to know what they're going to do with the money. So if they're doing 1031, there's time constraints. Maybe you can work a little bit on the, uh, lowering the price to make sure that you can get this thing done in 60 days. So just find out what, what the story is with, with each deal that you're, you're pursuing. So what I'm hearing is with a little bit of creativity, you can actually buy stuff without syndicating, which not only is it simpler, but you get to keep more of the pie. You don't have to split it up with a bunch of investors. Now, now you guys are now going to start syndicating. Oh, why now? Yeah. So I'll jump in on that. And, and the truth is that for us, if we're going to really grow and we're going to really start taking down some, you know, three to 500 unit deals and, and really, you know, grow our company the way that we want to and the way we think we can, there are going to be times where there's going to be a 40, $50 million deal that we're not going to be able to take down in house. And so we have, you know, a, a very, you know, large vision for ourselves going forward and how we're going to grow our management company and how we're going to grow our investment business. And I think it's going to require an ejection of capital to do that. And the thing that I love about our what we've done is that we've proven the model and we've proven our systems with our own capital. And so that now if we go to somebody and say, hey, look, this is what we're looking to do. We're going to have our own skin in the game up to a certain percent, but we need some, you know, an injection of capital to get it done to get to where we want to be. That's basically what we've been doing. So we want to, you know, it's, it's a growth strategy and it's going to enable us to get into larger communities and implement our systems. And that's what essentially what we're doing. And for me, it's more of a fear kind of thing. I'm not, I'm not going to say I was afraid of syndication, but it's something that I felt uncomfortable with. Um, and we have an educational platform. So for me to teach something, I want to be able to do it first. I want to be able to understand the pitfalls. I yeah. want to be understand the timelines. I want to understand knowing to have substantive relationships. How do I raise the money? How do I communicate with the investors? How do I investor base? How do I speak to the syndication attorney? People have to understand is another business in and of itself. It's not multifamily. It's actually dealing with investors, 
an investor relationship, it's a whole other leg of, I think, multifamily. The investment itself is another leg. The property management is another leg. Our education is another leg. They can symbiotic relationship, but that's, you know, to the syndication question why we're in the beginning, I didn't know how to speak to investors. I didn't feel comfortable talking about a 10% cash on cash return and a cap, a great opportunity. So jumping into this syndication has allowed me to hone my sales skills, has allowed me to learn the process. Cause you know, your best way by learning something is by doing it. I mean, you can think about, it. I've had multiple syndicators on our podcast. I've had you on Michael. I can only learn theory so much, whether it's a preferred rate, 70, 30 yeah. waterfall. I thought a waterfall was going to Niagara Falls. I didn't know what a waterfall was. Right. But until I dive into it and I look at the spreadsheets and I do it myself, that's the way we learn. So for me, it was like pushing myself out of my comfort zone. And listen, if we do it and we don't like it after the first one, we don't have to pursue it. But I think it's another tool in the toolbox. It's something that, you know, the more opportunities and more options you have, I think the stronger you can come with, um, with an offer. We have a, a deal right now that we're talking about. We're not going to syndicate it because it's not a, an appropriate syndication deal. It's too small. It's not enough for the investors. So we're going to keep it in house. But it also gives us the option for Jake and I to stretch farther. You know, we can look at a twenty-five million dollar deal with the syndication because it gives us that option that we can raise money from outside investors. So you know, I like the strategy. I was a little, little down on it in the last couple of years, but going through it now, walking through it and talking to syndicators, I think it's a really great strategy. I mean, you're talking about being being down on. What, what are some of the? There's, there's obviously pros you talked about. It allows you to allow to scale. But but what are some of the pros and cons in your mind about syndication versus not? Yeah, I talked about it a minute ago that I, I love the equity. You know, typically I own anywhere from you know twenty-five to thirty-five percent in any of our deals, and I think on the syndication deal I might own you know like ten percent of it, or, you know, something to that effect. So it's 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 a little bit different of a play. You know, be, be getting into some larger things, but it's it's another tool in the tool belt, like you know we we're talking about. I think you know for me as I'm looking at it, it's a you know. Agency debt is was one thing. I was just loving on the community bankers, but it's a whole lot more work to put one of these together because you're dealing with a lot with the community banks and now you're dealing with a lot with the syndication attorney and getting all those docs. So it's it's more work on the front end. Uh, so that's it's a, a little bit annoying, right? But besides that, I, I mean, I, you know, you have your raise and you have to make sure that you're, you're teeing guys up and everything. And even the deal we just did, we didn't have to syndicate it. We did syndicate it, but because uh, we wanted to run one through and, and test it out, so that was comforting. But I think you know, if you're if you're reaching up for like Gino said, a thirty million dollar deal, and the capital may not all be there, that could be a little nerve wracking. I think so. You you want to get it in and get it early, get it off, and get the money in the door. And uh, yeah. I think the other thing, there's a couple other points I like to make about that. First thing is, if you've got a property and it's just me and Jake, and septic fields fail, hey Jake, we're not getting paid for the next three months. But if you have investors. You can't go back and say to them, "Hey, I need money from you. I want draws. I haven't done that yet. I haven't haven't come up against it." That's one of the fears I think that Jake and I had is we weren't comfortable putting investors in and in, in saying, "Hey, listen, we need your money." So, what do you do in syndication? Maybe you do an over raise, raise extra money to take care of the unknowns, but we haven't come up across that yet. So, that's one thing that I, I think might be fearful. The other thing is sometimes on a syndication, do the right thing for the property because you need to turn capital to investors. Maybe you don't turn six units that month because you can only turn three units because you need that capital too. So, you may be you know, avoiding the short term for the long term. So that's something you have to look at. Whereas Jake and I can say, Hey, Jake, we're not drawing money for the next three months. We have to reposition these next 30 units. We're not going to take any money, but we're going to get this thing done. And six months down the road, we're going to be able to refi a lot sooner. So that model works. It works differently when you have investors and they're looking for a rate of return. And I think also another thing with syndication that's different than buy and hold like Jake and I, Jake and I are going to buy these, we're going to hold these things until the year 2100 and longer if we can, right? Because we love them. We love the cost segregation. We love the principal 
we love the, the ability for these things to cash flow for us. If we have a golden goose, we don't want to sell it. Well, in a syndication, sometimes might be a shorter time horizon where if you've got a deal, you've made 100% over three years, maybe it behooves you to sell the property. Um, whereas Jake and I, we can hold it. We have a little debt equity. Maybe, we'll, maybe we'll, we'll pull it out. Maybe we can even syndicate a part of that deal that we own ourselves. But I think syndication is always looking at it as an exit strategy, maybe to either sell the property or to refi the property. So. Yeah, you mentioned a few a few negatives. Uh, the pros clearly is scale. You can do more better, more better, better, bigger, bigger deals, right? Mm-hmm. But the biggest downside is now you have to do reporting, number one. So you're constantly monthly, quarterly, you're reporting. And then there's this, like you said, this distress between what you would rather do, which is, hey, forego some payments perhaps to mm-hmm. do the quote right thing. But then there's this other pressure of meeting your projections. And if you don't meet the projections, you will have the ire of the investors. And that creates stress, right? And, and, and that's something that you don't mm-hmm. have when it's just uh, you know, two of you guys. The other thing you mentioned is that the, the investors typically want a liquidity event in year five. I mean, it's, it's hard for them to wrap their head around, oh my gosh, you have your money, we have my money for 10 mm-hmm. years and I really have no control over it. I don't really like that idea. So they have to have some kind of liquidity event. So it, it, it's a bit of an unnatural act sometimes when you have a long-term time horizon because the returns typically work out great over 20 years. In five years, it's a, it's a, a bit of an unusual property and it's got to be just, just so. So it also narrows the the field. Also with syndicators, I found because you have investors, you can't afford to pay what someone can afford to pay that has their own cash, right? Because mm-hmm. now you have to have enough for you to get make a return as well as your investors. So now you're not as competitive anymore. So there's 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 actually major, major disadvantages. Nevertheless, we like it anyway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, because it solves it solves such a fundamental problem, which is uh, lack of capital. Right? L- lack of capital is a major problem. And I think it, it is, but but you know you you remind you remind me that you know real estate really is it's you have to be creative. And I, I interviewed someone a little while back on a podcast who didn't even know you could raise money. He had built like a five million dollar equity up, literally, it's worth like five million dollars on nothing but, and and he didn't he didn't even know he could raise money. And and because he didn't know he could raise money, he had to come up with other plans. I mean, he didn't have a million dollars to buy the building, so he did kind of what you're doing. And it reminds us that my gosh, while syndication is a great great answer. Can we be any more resourceful? Is there other things we can do? Can we do, uh, you know, uh, and I'm not saying hard money loans. We can do seller financing, community banks, things of that nature. Community banks are great, guys. I mean, I'm, I just, I, I actually was snobbing a little bit because we went on this run where we did, I don't know, like eight refis with, uh, you know, Freddie and, and Fannie, and we we're just knocking them out from our community banks. But it's so much easier working with the community banks, and there's so much more upside because you're getting more equity. You're you're able to refi or you're able to build in some of those repair costs and, and just literally finance those. I love the model. What we've done so effectively so many times is going with the community bank and then refi it out, send it out to pasture to the agencies. Because here's the other thing: our reporting is tight. We have we we have a really strong accounting team. The reports are done on time, like they, they should be. And so when we when we buy these mom and pop deals, sometimes it's really hard. It's like pulling teeth to get the data they need to get it financed on the front end with the agencies. Whereas the community guys, they know, they, they trust us. We have a good relationship. We get it done with them. So it's much easier. So we, you know, get a few reports, get a rent roll, whatever. We're able to get the thing uh, underwritten and financed. And then after running it for a year or two, having it on our systems, it's one click from our software, sending it over to the agencies, very clean, very orderly. And it's such a smooth process versus trying to pull teeth from the mom and pops on the front end. So I love buying with community and rolling it out to the agencies. 
Uh, let's let's talk about that just for, just for a second here. Can you talk about the difference between community banks and say agency debt from an, an acquisition process? What are the pros of going through? Because one of the major cons I, I think is that you're you're personally signing, you're guaranteeing the loan typically with community banks. That's probably a major con. But the strategy about uh, doing community banks, why does that help you get into a deal maybe faster or with less down? What are the what are the major advantages and disadvantages of doing community banks? There's so many advantages because I can pick up my phone and basically text it over to my guy at the community bank and then we're, we're off and running, right? Appraisal's ordered, we're mm. off to the races. Uh, we talked yeah. about the, the amount of equity required. A lot of times we can get into these things at 15% down. We do pro-rata guarantors. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, we do pro-rata guarantors also. So again, going back to the difference where agency might look at it and say, we need 65% LTV versus you know 85%. Guys, that's huge. I mean, you're, you're coming up with so much less cash, right? And then the pro-rata guarantor. So we are guaranteeing it, but say it's me, uh, you, and Gino doing a deal. We're splitting up you know, in three ways. Well, a lot of times the community banks for the less savvy guys will, will want each of us to guarantee 100%. So they're covered up to 300% of the deal. So you have to ask for pro-rata guarantors to make sure that if I'm 33% owner, I'm guaranteeing 33%. So that's one of the little tricks that we learned early on uh, with the community banks to try to throw those little zingers in there at you. But uh, it's just it's just the ease of doing the deal. We could close a community deal if we really wanted to, you know, easily in 45 days, you know, probably less. So I think it's just the ease of doing business. And it's just so much less that they ask for that make your life easy. And, and you know, we get it done quick. On the flip side, though, the agency is great because they have non-recourse. So a lot of guys who do syndications, we were actually going to do a syndication with, with, with the community bank. We we're going to guarantee the uh, recourse financing ourselves on our balance sheet. A lot of people wouldn't want to do that. It might be a little more riskier, but I mean, we're personally guaranteeing our other deals. So the non-recourse is great. The terms with community financing is you get three years of interest only on a Freddie deal. You know, the the 30-year amortization is great. So you're going to cash flow a lot more. And like I said, that non-recourse component is really- Right now, rates are lower with the agencies. And if yeah. you have the green programs, they have certain green programs with Fannie, which actually lowers it a little bit more. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. there's definitely pros and cons to both. Yeah, so you're you're about to syndicate, or you're you're already in a, in a syndication right now. What are the things that are are going to be different? What's going to surprise you? What has already surprised you in going to a syndication? Well, for me, it was the speed with which everything happens. I've documented everything, the timeline. You really need to have uh, investors locked in. You really had to have their expectations. You really, if you don't have a deal, you don't have credibility. Put your credibility book together, get a case study of what you're looking for and start talking to investors. Because when you get that deal, it's game on, guys. No more fooling around because you sign the LOI, you get the contract going out, you sign the contract, you start talking to investors, you got to contact the attorney within the first two and a half weeks, you have dead time. You need at least two and a half to three weeks to create those prior placement memorandum, the subscription agreement. You can start getting soft commitments, but a soft commitment is like ice cream in Florida when it's 90 degrees. It's soft and it'll melt real quick once the deal comes. So you need to really start talking to investors. Um, you can't accept money until you have all your documents in place. So that was a, that was a tricky one for us. We didn't know that. Had our first investor webinar, and we were fortunate through the platform that we had a few hundred investors on. So we were able to raise $2 million, like Jake says, in two days. So for us, it wasn't a problem raising the money because the deal was fantastic, but everything moved so quickly. Um, you know, Talking about setting up the entity, getting your first documents filed, getting an, a great attorney. We have Kim Taylor we use. We think she did a great job for us. She explained everything for us. And like I said, talking to all those investors was totally different, presenting the opportunity. So if you're going to start syndicating, start 
talking today. You need to create substantive relationships. We did a 506B, so we had sophisticated and in, in, uh, credit investors in our deal. We wanted to have it to friends and family. So we needed to actually have those touch points. We needed to have a CRM in place. We're using CrowdTreat as backend for reporting. Don't know if you need it on your first syndication, but we said, listen, we want a professional up, learn the process properly. Like I said, that's a whole different business model. We, we didn't, weren't able to do this until we hired somebody for head of operations because Jake's out there doing property management day to day. I'm doing education day to day, and we're both running the property. So it's hard to run investors also. So those are some of the you know tripping stones, stepping stones that I had. Jake, what, what did you have planned yeah. differently? No, no. I think I think the important thing was we brought someone else onto the team to head up investor relations. And it, with the financing, I was in front of it. You know, It was way before the deal went under contract that basically many of the docs were already in so that the financing was was in place and kind of you know almost agreed upon before we even got you know, to the point of signing a contract. So I think it was just front loading as much as we could and we got as organized as quickly as we could. Uh, everything that we uh, need to do from a organizational and closing uh, checklist, if you is in a Google Doc that we meet on weekly. Everyone has their assigned specific roles, very organized and systematized, so that you know we, we kind of land land this baby in nice and smooth with uh, with no hiccups. Because we've done all this before, you know, minus the sort of administrative uh, piece with the syndication and the money raise. So, and even with the money raise, I was like, all right, guys, let's let's drop the hammer on this thing. Let's get the money in the door quick. We got the money in within two days, so there was no delay on that. And I just wanted to be very organized and buttoned up to make sure that there was no hiccups along the way. Do you know you mentioned? That hey, uh, start raising money, start relationship building today. What did you guys do leading up to this that made you uh, made it seem fairly effortless uh, to raise that money? Well, what we started doing is we had the educational platform, so that was really uh, a component for us. The podcast. If you guys are out there starting the podcast, figure out what you want to do your podcast for. Is it going to be for credit investors? Is it going to be for selling education? Is it going to be me? great guys. Like, you know, how, how often can you, you know, talk to Michael Blank on, on, on a call? He's a busy guy. How can I think whether it's Ken McElroy, whether it's, you know, you know, Cameron Harold, the list goes on T. Harv Ecker. Podcast for me is a great way to learn. So try to, I guess, figure out that educational component, start writing articles, start writing blogs, get that inbound marketing, start showing yourself as the position as the expert in the space. So we were able to cultivate a lot of investors, a lot of people who liked us. We did a live event last year in uh, Knoxville that generated more investors on our platform. And then we did one this year that generated even more. So it's it's more about the buzz and about telling people what you're doing. Because, you know, if I go back to New York five years ago, you know, like I was a pizza guy. So they're like, huh? So you just have to really start laying the foundation and start talking. Talk, talk about the investor dinner. So we had an investor dinner in August. It was great. We didn't have the deal. We had the deal under, we had the deal uh, three days before we got there, my brother just wanted to put a, a deal together mm-hmm. and invest a dinner together. We had 60 people there and it was great because we just talked about the opportunity. By the time we left that, that dinner, there was a lot of doctors there. There was pharmaceutical reps there. There was lawyers, art, architects. We had the deal funded from that one dinner if I really wanted to push it. And I was just a little hesitant, a little skeptical of getting all of my friends and family on this one deal because I don't want to lose 50 family members if this deal goes bad. So um, <laughs> but we had it done. And then the following night, we had a bigger pockets meetup down in the city, met another 150 uh, quote unquote investors slash people who wanted to get educated. So it's really getting out there, doing these meetups, going to these RIA meetings, letting people know what you're doing, just networking like crazy. That's what real estate's all about. It's all about relationship based building. What's next for you guys? Next thing for us, Jake, what's the next thing for us? We're just going to keep looking at deals. We have it on, on our Monday morning huddles that we have calls every Monday. We want to analyze at least three deals a week. We want to underwrite three deals a week. 
Uh, hopefully, we can put one on the contract a month. I think that's maybe a little um, aggressive, but I think just to have it there, I think we want to do that. There's deals coming back on the market, guys, right now. There's stuff coming on the market. Um, cap rates are going to be coming up. Interest rates are coming up. People are going to be selling. So there's stuff coming on. You just have to be ready. And that's why the syndication is great because we have the ability to raise that money and the confidence to go looking for the bigger deals. As far as the education, I just want to continue to educate, uh, grow the podcast, continue to write articles and continue to grow the, uh, the educational platform. Yeah, we have, uh, we have a new book coming out uh, in 2019, you know, under the Jake and G- uh, Gino education flag. So we're excited about that. It's gonna be about multifaceted, multifamily. Uh, a lot of what we do is just controlling every aspect of the business, whether it's it's the management, uh, we're, we're now on the investment end of it, doing the education. Uh, we're getting into a actually a small uh, mortgage brokering business. So we can help, you know, people place debt because we have a lot of great relationships on the banking side, whether it's the community banks, if people need bridge financing, or even if it's, it's, the agency. So we're getting into that space as well. So there, there's, you know, four or five core businesses that we really run, including, you know, if you want to look at, uh, you know, so with the wheelbarrow profits, but also the marketing of, of the Jake and Gino. So, you know, not that it's a separate thing, but even the events, the, you know, putting on a, a 400 person event, takes a lot of work and you need to be organized to do that. So just, you know, continuing to grow the vertical integration and, and, you know, improve our systems and the management end of it, uh, really, you're just enjoying everything that we do, that it kind of serves a core business business of investment and that all these other functions support it. Guys aren't hard to find, but how do people connect with you? You, you got to get Gino on Instagram, right? You got you got Jake and Gino on Instagram. You got it's Jake Senziano on Instagram, the, the, the Facebook, the <laughs> Wheelbarrow Profits podcast. Uh, you know, we still got the book kicking on there for Amazon, uh, cranking out every month for us. And, uh, you know, if you want to you give the, the GDAT a call, you can get him at uh, Gino at uh, jakeandgino.com, right? Yep. And it's jakeandgino.com is the, is the website. So we've got tons of articles on there, tons of free resources. So come check yeah. us out. That's awesome. Mike. You guys always have such great things going on. You're, you're constantly pushing the envelope. So thanks, Mike. Thanks for having us on. Thank you, Michael. You know, sometimes we do get a little too focused, I think, on syndication. And it is a fantastic tool. We can do it over and over and over again, and we can really create some scale with it. And I think it's fantastic. However, sometimes we have to think about other ways we can maybe achieve the same goal. Uh, that way we have to raise less money. Maybe we just have to still raise money, but less of it. Maybe the seller will do some financing. Maybe we'll do a lot of financing. I think it's important to know that we don't lead with this stuff because it sends the wrong message to the broker. Oh, these guys don't have any money, which is why they're recommending or asking for seller financing. But once you get into the deal, you've built your credibility up. Trying to understand the seller's situation, you might actually be doing them a favor as well as your, your own if you get some seller financing, for example. Uh, and this comes up quite a bit. The point of this is this. you got to be resourceful. And syndication, frankly, is one example of being resourceful using other people's money. You can also join venture with people. Gino talked about that. We do that quite a bit at the deal desk. You can find out more about that at uh, themichaelblank.com forward slash partner of how we join venture. You bring us the deal. We raise the money for that. That's another really creative way to do your first deal or expand your, your business. So really think about creative ways that you can get into a deal. Uh, and certainly Jake and Gino did it for several hundred units without actual syndication, which is fabulous. Now, speaking of syndication, we just had a live webinar on how to raise money. And uh, what we're going to try is we'll do some monthly live webinar trainings. The next one is all about analyzing deals and making offers. So go to themichaelblank.com forward slash live for the next up and coming webinar. And hopefully you can join us there live. And we'll just have different topics here. It'll be around raising money, about analyzing deals, uh, overcoming your lack of experience, how to generate deal flow so you never run a deals, stuff like that. 
that, right? So make sure you check that out, themichaelblank.com forward slash live. All right, you guys, appreciate it. Thanks so much for spending time with me on the show here. I will catch you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast with Michael Blanc. For more free podcasts, articles, and videos, go to themichaelblanc.com. There, you can also download the free ebook, The Secret to Raising Money to Buy Your First Apartment Building. Till next time.